Quiet our hearts and we'll open in a word of prayer and we'll be in Second Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20 tonight. Just some pieces of that. We're not going to read all of it, but we'll read bits of it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here in this place and worship you and um, just um, see what your word has for us this evening. We pray that you would uh, remove any distractions from our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we'd be able to focus on your word. And Lord, that you would just uh, give us wisdom and be able to apply uh, what we learn about uh, King Jehoshaphat. And we, we ask this in Jesus' uh, precious name. Amen. Amen. We also, I just got a text from Peter, so we also want to be praying for Peter uh, Sparakis. He's got COVID. He just got him down with COVID. So he's uh, got a little temperature, but he's doing okay. So we want to be praying for him as well. Um, so Second Chronicles <clears throat> chapter 17, um, tonight we're going to be looking at when Christians compromise with the world, and we're going to look at that through the lens of King Jehoshaphat. And uh, so if you'll open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 17, read the first couple verses here. Uh, Jehoshaphat, his son, that's the son of King Asa, who we studied last week, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa, his father, had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the, the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Israel, remember, is the northern kingdom and uh, King Jehoshaphat is reigning over the southern kingdom, over, over Judah. Uh, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in all the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. So all the, the pagan worship practices were taken down. And um, it goes on there. We're not going to read it all just for time's sake. But it goes on there and it t- talks about how he sent out teachers out in the land. to t- and It also speaks about how great a uh, army he had. And a lot of fear fell over, it says in verse 10, um, upon the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, uh, Ju- Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat because of his great army. Now look at, at verse 1 of chapter 18. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. That's the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. So he's making an alliance with the king of the north, the king of Israel, Ahab, who was a 
pretty much a pagan king. And they're worshiping all kinds of wrong things up there. Verse 4, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. In other words, aren't we going to ask the Lord about this? And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, These are the, the prophets that Elijah went up against, basically. They're, they're pagan guys. Shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? refrain? And they said, Go up. For God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, um, For Jehoshaphat said, uh, is, there, is there not another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlab, but I hate him. <laughs> For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king uh, say so. And then there in verse uh, verse 8, we'll just continue to read this. It says, and the king uh, summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes. And they were sitting at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. So it's a pretty spectacle event. Um, and Zedekiah, the son of uh, Jenina, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. So they're all in favor of this uh, operation that um, King Ahab has kind of lured Jehoshaphat into. Verse 12, And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. In other words, uh, if I were you, I wouldn't go in there and tell the king something he doesn't want to hear because <laughs> it may be your head on a platter. Verse 13, but Micaiah said, uh, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. So he's being faithful. And, and when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, what, uh, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I return? And he answered, Look at his answer there. Go up and triumph. <laughs> uh, they will be given into your hand. So he's kind of playing along with the, the little tip that the messenger gave him. But the king kind of caught on. He said in verse 15, But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? In verse 16, And he said, All right, you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord uh, said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And rather than listen to the prophet of the Lord, it says there, and, and Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? In other words, if you go, you're going to die. This is what the Lord is saying. And one said one thing, and another said another. 
verse 20, Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Verse 22, Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. Verse 23, Then Zedekiah, the son of Jananah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? So he's kind of mocking him. And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber, a chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you people. So his prophecy for Ahab was not favorable, and he bore the result of that being thrown into prison. And if you play that out, he never, if we'll see, he never does come back. So <laughs> who, how, who, who knows how long he was in prison with meager rations. Verse 28, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, and here's another kind of weird thing that uh, Jehoshaphat does, the king of Israel says, I'm going to disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. And the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariot, the people they're fighting against, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And as soon as the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat and all his robes and everything, they said, It is the king of Israel. So they turned and to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God drew them away from him. For as soon as the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man, this is interesting, verse 33, but a certain man drew his bow at random. I don't think there is any randomness with the, with the work of the Lord and his purpose, but it's just kind of tongue-in-cheek. And struck the king of Israel, Ahab, between the scale of the armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to his driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. And the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot facing the Assyrians until evening. Uh, as this, it, then at sunset, he died. And then chapter 19 says, king, uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, you, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And he's really condemning his help for King Ahab. But of this, wrath has gone out, because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherah, Asherahs coming out of the land and have uh, set your heart to seek God. And then he appoints certain people and, and things like that. And next week, 
or not next week, in, in three weeks, we'll, we'll be looking at um, chapter 20. But I want to jump all the way to the end of chapter 20 and just read this for tonight, too. It talks about the end of Jehoshaphat's reign at verse 35. It says, after this, he kind of has this big um, um, prayer meeting and stuff with everybody and kind of a, 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 a time where they're really thanking the Lord and everything and for victory. And then in verse 35, here's what it says. After this, King Je- Je- Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. It's like he didn't learn, okay? He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish. And they built the ships in Ezion Gerber. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodavahu of Merisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. Um, it's interesting when you read this, this guy, he starts off very strong for the Lord, um, but he ends miserably, not learning a certain lesson. And the lesson is, is, is that we don't have um, any business really gathering together and joining allegiances with uh, what the Lord would conclude as wicked people, or in our case, unbelievers. And um, someone once said, a, a man's greatest strength are often also the source of his greatest what weaknesses. A man's greatest strengths are often the source of his greatest weaknesses. And so a man who speaks with strong convictions like Jehoshaphat did, who speaks out boldly for God's truth, if he's not careful, he can become looked at as harsh or unkind. Okay. On the other hand, you might have someone who is just oozing with mercy and love and compassion, and, and they can err on their side by what? Compromising. Right? They, they kind of want to please everybody. They, they want to tolerate everybody. They don't want to stand up necessarily and, and offend anyone. And so, therefore, they compromise God's truth. And so, the latter error, those who compromise, seem to be more common uh, danger to our churches today. Um, a lot of times, churches today, often in the time, in the name of unity, in the name of love, what do they do? They promote unity. Okay, and they want everybody to gather together around the campfire, join hands, and sing Kumbaya. And, you know, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of God. And, and when it's simply just not simply true. Um, and you have to be wise in discerning that. Um, I, I, Billy, Billy Graham, who, when he was living and he had all his crusades going on, I mean, he pretty much always preach the, the content of the gospel, all right? And I know a lot of people were affected by Billy Graham, but he also came under a lot of um, criticism because he would put people on his platform at these crusades sometimes, especially when he got more popular, who were either very, very, very young celebrity believers, okay, who haven't really been tried, haven't been tested, 
and you know Hollywood kind of people. But he also brought onto his into his fold a lot of people who, from the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, he kind of embraced them, and I get it. He was thinking, well, I want a bigger audience, and so I got to have a, a wider net, and that's the fallacy, unfortunately, that a lot of these churches today practice. We want to throw a very wide net. And that's why when Joe Olstein's asked on public television by Larry King, um, you know, about Mormons or, or Muslims or whatever, uh, he said, well, it's all one God, Larry, or whatever he said. I mean, it was a very bad statement that he made. And, you know, he actually had to write a letter of apology after... Um, his church caught wind of it, believe it or not, because it was just so far over the top and there was no line of discernment. He was making everybody of faith the same. And unfortunately, that's just not true. It's not even true necessarily within the church. Uh, you know, people that go to church, I mean, every week, and, and well, what kind of church are they going to, right? I mean, you can go to church and you can have a church that's, just a big hoopla session and everybody's speaking in tongues and there's chaos going on all around um, and people call that church and nothing's taught and, and anything. It's just a big kind of a performance, a big circus. Uh, well, that's not pleasing to the Lord. The Lord says there should be order in the church. But then on the other hand, you have some gatherings in churches that, you know, it's, it's the, the, the chosen frozen, you know, they wouldn't know how to clap their hands if, if, if you paid them a million dollars. They would think it was sin, you know. Um, so, I mean, you, you have to find the right balance in our, in our worship, in our teaching, in everything. And so we don't want to, you know, go over the top and, and call, you know, Billy Graham a, a, uh, an apostate because, you know, he embraced Catholics. Um, I wouldn't say that about him. I think that the Lord in his own way used him during his lifetime. Um, but I think on the other hand, um, was there compromise involved? I, I think so, personally. And so we have to be careful. Uh, we have to not ask ourselves, does it work? You know, his crusade staff would say, well, look at all the people that are coming because we're embracing all these people. And in the end, they're hearing the gospel. This is, you know, the end justifies the means argument, right? So, you know, you got to have a good performance on Sunday morning because then you'll get more people who don't know the Lord. And the whole premise is wrong because on Sunday morning, our premise is not simply to save the lost. We've talked about this before. It's to what? It's to edify the saints. It's to teach the body of Christ the word of God. And so when you do that, um, you know, someone who doesn't know the Lord, um, they're not able to worship the Lord anyway. I mean, maybe they can tap their their, their foot to a song or something, but as far as true biblical worship, if you don't know the Lord, you can't worship the Lord. So, you know, we don't want to compromise our worship for the sake of them. But on the other hand, um, you know, we do want to be um, compassionate toward them and gracious and welcoming, right? We don't want people to be uh, offended just to, for the sake of offending them. Uh, but on the other hand, as I've said before, the message of the cross itself uh, is an offense. So uh, we shouldn't just be focused on does it work, but rather what? Is it biblical? Is what we're doing found in the Bible, in the New Testament church, what we do every week? Is this is, is what they did? And it's not going to be exactly what they did because, you know, they met in houses. They, it was a different venue and different time and everything. But I mean, as far as the, the fellowshipping of the brothers and sisters in Christ, prayer, um, the Lord's Supper, 
in, in the teaching from the apostles and the, the disciples. Uh, you know, that, that, those are the elements of the New Testament church. And so we want to make sure that that is, is part of what we're doing. We don't want to leave some of that out. Because when you compromise, Scripture is clear, any compromise with the world, whether in doctrine, whether in morals, or even relationships, okay, has disastrous consequences. It has disastrous consequences. And this story about Jehoshaphat is, is a good man. He's a, he's a godly man. He's a good king, but he has a major weakness. And his weakness is he wants to compromise. He wanted King Ahab to like him. And we learn that compromise with the world brings disastrous consequences, not to the world, but to God's people. And so um, it may not be apparent right away, all right, because it's, it's something that um, happens over a period of time. You know, growing up on the East Coast in Pennsylvania in the wintertime, a lot of times out here, I think they put cinders on the roads, like going up to Tahoe. Well, back there, they put salt to melt the snow and the ice, right? Well, when you drive over that salt after year after year after year, I remember my one sister had a, a Mustang Mach 1. It was like canary yellow, beautiful car. But she lived in upstate New York, and she'd drive back and forth all the time. And all the time in the winter, she's driving that salt's corroding her car. It's corroding her car. It doesn't matter how much you wash it, undercoat, it, it gets everywhere. And, and I remember after she retired, she was driving her Mustang downtown and accidentally ran into a, a parked car that she wasn't even going that fast. She wasn't hurt, but the car was totaled. It just literally like crumbled. And it, it was just all eaten away by the years. It looked nice on the outside, but inside the, the fenders and everything, it was just, it was all corroded from this salt. And it doesn't seem um, like it's doing any damage, but it does. And it's the same way when we begin to compromise. When you open up that door just a little bit, inevitably, corruption begins to fill your church and begins to fill your life, personally, if you're talking about it personally. So here I want to share with you four observations from this story about Jehoshaphat, and, and we'll, we'll uh, hit chapter 20 uh, when we get back. But he, first of all, he was clearly a, a godly man. Um, the first point here is compromise with the world is a danger for even the most godly of believers. All right, these are, uh, Jehoshaphat was a, a leader. He was, he was doing everything right. It says in verse 3, the Lord was with him of chapter 17 because he walked in the earlier days of his, his father David and he did not seek um, the, the idol worship of Baal uh, but sought God of his, the God of his father and walked in his commandments. And so uh, it says in verse 6, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. So he, he, he was, a, he was a, a devout follower of the Lord. And he sought the Lord. He, he wanted to walk in his commandments. He took great pride in the ways of the Lord. Uh, he even, to the extent of going up against all the idol worship that was just run rampant. And he said, hey, we're not going to have this down south. You can do whatever you want up north, but we're not going to do this down south. And so he sent teachers out, as we, we read in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 17, to instruct people in the law of God. Because he understood that if people didn't understand the law of God, they're not going to understand why I'm doing this. Uh, and when a, a prophet rebuked him, even for his wrongful allegiance with Ahab, uh, in chapter um, uh, 19 to, to 20, or, or 19, 2 to, to 11 there, 
um, Jehoshaphat went on there and he, he instituted further religious reforms. He accepted the rebuke. He didn't say like Ahab, oh, you know what? You don't agree with me? Because when he got back from his battle uh, with Ahab, the prophet met him and said, hey, what you did was wrong, pal. You know, you, you aligned with an evil leader, a wicked leader. Uh, how dare you do that with God's people? And, and so he didn't, he didn't rebuke the man. He took it. He accepted it. And he went on and he made further reforms. And then in, in chapter 20, we see his heart as a nation is threatened by this vast army. And what does he do? We're going to see this in the next study. But he calls everybody together for um, uh, an assembly of prayer and, and really fasting before the Lord. And at this point, um, you know, Jehoshaphat was not your average run-of-the-mill follower of God. He just wasn't. He was a, a strong man of faith. And he was open uh, to instituting godly rules and regulations in his, in his, over his, his subjects. And, and he courageously brought reform to the nation. Um, and if he suffered from the danger of compromising with the world, then none of us are exempt from it. None of us. We all can fall into that pattern. And, um, you know, the Bible doesn't condemn everything the man did, but it rather portrays his strengths and his weaknesses. And um, he's not just lambasting Jehoshaphat across the board. He's saying, no, he did some good things. But, you know, on the other hand, he did some bad things. And it's funny, whenever you criticize someone, if you're pointing something out or whatever, then all of a sudden what, what happens? You become known as, oh, 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 oh he's, you know, the pastor said that he didn't agree with Billy Graham. He just flushed Billy Graham down the toilet. No, I'm not saying that at all. Okay? Or pick whatever teacher you want. Um, there's a lot of good that these men do, but there's also, there's nothing wrong with calling them to task. You know, I remember... Most of you probably remember James Dobson, Focus on the Family, right? Very psychologist, very knowledgeable in family matters and all this stuff. Um, but some of his theology was just messed up. I mean, he had some wrong theology. And when you would point that out, boy, people would just come after you because, I mean, he was like a god for a while in the, in the, Christian, in the Christian world, you know. Oh, James Dobson, you know, Focus on the Family. I mean, um, you know, it was, people almost worshipped him. And so if you said anything critical about him, it was like, wow, you're, you're really, uh, you got a lot of criticism for that. Um, even if you were just simply pointing out something. And so we need to be, be willing to do that. Uh, the Bible says that, you know, in the New Testament, they had what? They had men that were known as Bereans, people that were known as Bereans. And what did they do? They went to the Word of God, and they, they heard, they heard, they'd hear a message, and they'd go to the Word of God, they'd go to the Law of God, and they'd, they'd confirm it. And they check it out for themselves. Don't just believe what you're hearing because someone is standing behind a podium or a pulpit. That's ridiculous. Okay, confirm it. Um, so why did Jehoshaphat um, and why do we fall into the problem of compromise in the world? And, and that's what we want to look at. Secondly, so it's, 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 it's available to anybody, this kind of compromise. No, no, none of us are... Um, above it. Secondly, compromise with the world is a danger because of its subtlety. 
we kind of talked about this already, but the first thing we read about Jehoshaphat in, in verses 1 and 2 of 17 is how he strengthened his position over Israel. Um, as a king, he did the right thing. That's Ahab's northern kingdom. He strengthened his position over Israel. And later you read about his valiant army and his fortified cities. I mean, he was ready for anybody to come against him, and he would have beat him hands down, no doubt. As if, if Ahab would have declared war against Jehoshaphat, he probably would have just wiped him out. Ahab would have lost. So here's where Ahab's ingenuity comes in, and uh, Jehoshaphat's kind of naivete, because the next thing we hear is Jehoshaphat's promising this ruler, godless Ahab, he says right there in, in chapter 18, verse 3, I am as you are and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the battle. It's incredible. It's kind of like, wow, you're going to trust um, someone that much who's totally anti your God, who's living a wicked lifestyle, who's leading a wicked nation at this point. And you just, you just kind of wouldn't do that. But that's how Satan works. Because I'm sure Jehoshaphat didn't think that there was any ill intent here. You know, he probably thought, ah, yeah, sure, we can help him out. Um, you know, it's, it's not usually confrontational when Satan begins his way of influencing us. You know, Satan doesn't come into church Sunday morning dressed in his little red suit with a pitchfork and a tail and horns and go, hey, everybody, don't listen to the pastor. Follow me. Come on, let's go. And we all go, oh, okay, let's go follow Satan. We're not going to do that. Especially as believers. We would never even conceive of doing such a thing. But how does he work? He, he fools you with some good causes. You have to understand, I mean, this, this country they were going against was, was really uh, uh, one of the, the, the cities where they would go for um, refuge. And it was supposed to be Israel's city. And so Jehoshaphat's thinking, yeah, you know what? That's right. That, that doesn't belong to those people, that wicked nation. So you know what? Yeah, we'll help you out with this. We're going we're gonna to do something that's good. That was in his heart. But he made an alliance with somebody who was not good, okay? And so that's how Satan works. I mean, why did Jehoshaphat get entangled with this guy? He's one of the most godly kings ever to reign in Judah. And, and on the other hand, Ahab is one of the most despicable saint, uh, snakes that there is in Israel. Well, why did they get together? It doesn't give us much of a clue in verse 1 of chapter 18 there. Um, but I think, it may have been simply because uh, of Jehoshaphat's power over Ahab from the very beginning. It just says there, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. And he had made a marriage alliance with Ahab. I think Ahab was the one who probably sought this alliance. It doesn't make any sense that, that Jehoshaphat would. But Ahab probably sought this alliance. And remember, Jehoshaphat's a nice guy. He, he wants to be a nice, nice king. He's, he, he wants to please the Lord in everything he does. And he probably thought how, how, how good it could be to reunite the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom and we could all just live harmoniously as one. You know, this is what Jehoshaphat's thinking. Um, 
So he gave his son to marriage in, uh, to Ahab's daughter because it was for a good cause. He's not seeing an issue here. Um, maybe the boy would have a, a positive influence on, on Athaliah and her mother and, and Jezebel, who knows, whatever. Uh, but after a few years later, Jehoshaphat went down to Ahab's capital, Samaria, and Ahab basically rolled out the red carpet. He received Jehoshaphat with, with honors and fed him a bunch of food. It says that he, he brought all this food down. And he goes, hey, you know what? Will you, will you go up with me against, now that we're family, <laughs> Ramoth Gilead, uh, King Jehoshaphat? Ramoth Gilead was one of the cities of refuge, like I said, that was ordained by God and had fallen into the hands of the king of Assyria at the time. Assyria at the time. And what could be more right than to free this, this city that was rightfully theirs against this pagan king and recapture it for the Lord and his people? And so what does Jehoshaphat do? He pledges his allegiance to Ahab, who is a wicked king. There's no, there's no getting around that. And it almost got him killed. It almost got Jehoshaphat killed. And that's how Satan kind of ensnares believers. He doesn't, you know, come into your living room and say, hey, you know what, here, uh, start drinking this alcohol because when you drink enough of this alcohol, you know what, eventually you're going to be so miserable. You're, gonna lo- you're not going to be able to work anymore. You're going to lose your job. You're probably going to beat your wife and eventually you're going to lose your wife and you're going to lose your family. Eventually you're going to not have an income. You're going to lose your house and you're going to die of cirrhosis and liver a poor old man. That's not what Satan tells us, right? Satan says, ah, oh, just, just have a little bit. It'll be all right. It's not a problem. You know, it's not a problem. Um, he's never upfront about the consequences of compromising in areas of our lives. And so here, it, it, you know, he makes it look good. Um, sometimes he even makes it look wholesome. He makes it look right. Satan doesn't approach younger women and say, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, this guy's cute, but, you know, he's, he's going to be a, uh, just a drunken bum in a couple years. So after you marry him, uh, yeah, he says he'll go to church with you maybe, but you know what? Eventually, he's going to end up not letting you even t- take the ch- kids to church. He's not going to go to church. He's going to forbid you to go to church, and you're going to be miserable if you get involved with this person. But you know what? He's cute and says he's you know, willing to let you do whatever you need to do for your faith. So you end up marrying him and you end up in a disaster. Okay? So we have to be careful. It's, it's subtle the way Satan works. Thirdly, compromise with the world sucks you in through wrong relationships. And this kind of taps into what we were just talking about. Notice how Jehoshaphat got kind of drawn in deeper and deeper. First, he gave his son in marriage, probably for... A good cause in his mind that he's going to re- reunite these two um, kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Next, what does he do? He accepts Ahab's hospitality and foolishly gave his word about going into battle. So Ahab gives him all this food and, and whatever and having a good time. Think, yeah, oh, we're family, whatever. Sure, I'll help you out. No, nope, not, not a problem. Um, But at that point, his conscience begins to nag him a little bit because he is a follower of the Lord. Jehoshaphat is a good man. He wants to do what the Lord 
you know, wants him to do. And so he kind of brings up the topic of, hey, you know what? Maybe we should inquire of the Lord whether we should do this battle thing. I mean, I know we made the plans already and we've talked about it and you fed me all this food and I kind of feel obligated, but let's, let's, isn't there anybody around here that can give us a word from the Lord? And that's how it, it, it works, you know. And as he stood by why this godly prophet was, was you know, brought before um, Ahab and, and basically said, yeah, you're going to lose. It's basically not going to work out good for you. Um, but, you know, he's probably thinking, well, I gave him his word. I gave him my word. I, I, you know, I have to go through with this. And then next, almost unbelievably, he naively agrees to King Ahab's scheme that we read about where Jehoshaphat would wear his kingly robes into battle, right? While Ahab went incognito. I mean, that's like, and in those kind of battles, as it, we discussed, the whole, the enemy, who do they want to take out? They want to take out their leader. If you take out the leader, the troops will probably just scurry away. They'll be de- demoralized, all right? And so Ahab comes up with this scheme that, hey, you know what? I'm going to kind of just dress like everybody else, but you wear your kingly robes, Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat goes along with it. That's what's hard to understand. But it's really not. Because, you know what, as believers, I think we're basically um, pretty naively trusting people. You know, we want to believe the best in someone. You know, it's like, you know, when you, someone comes up to you at the gas pump and says, hey, you know, can you, can you give me $5? I mean, you, you feel almost obligated, right? I mean, you got probably $20 in your pocket. So, you, you know, okay. You know, you don't, you don't know what they're going to do with that $5. They could go blow white stuff up their nose. They could buy a bottle with it. Or they could do whatever. You don't know. You haven't confirmed them. You don't know them. So are you enabling them? Are you helping them? What are we doing? I'm not saying we should never help poor homeless people, but we have to do it wisely. But so many times we get taken advantage of. Okay, as a result. Go ahead. It, it kind of sounds like the other thing with the pain is ego. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's that's part of it, um, and and I think that that's you, you know a big a big thing here. But but at the same time, it it was a setup. <laughs> I mean, clearly. I mean, I think Ahab knew what he was doing, you know, and so uh, I think he was covering both both sides of it that way. Um, and so when they start running with the world, a lot of times believers get outsmarted very quickly you know we don't have the street smarts we don't understand how a lot of people think and so jehoshaphat went into this battle with this godless king ahab against the word remember this is going against god's word going against god's prophet who was sitting in jail somewhere (laughs) Um, you think somewhere reason would set in and go you know maybe this isn't a good idea but you know what, I've done enough counseling with people, I've talked to enough people, and sometimes, boy, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard for people to see clearly when they're already drawn in. We get lured in by the subtlety of the world, and then we get locked in by forming wrong relationships that get us entangled even deeper. Um, there's a couple things here under this subject. First of all, wrong marriage relationships. 
Okay, different kinds of relationships that we should not be entangled in. Wrong marriage relationships. The Bible is clear. It's a sin, very clearly, for a believer to marry someone who is an unbeliever. Second um, Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And I've dealt with this enough. Most times, it's usually the Christian girl that's entertaining the non-Christian guy. There's the exception, but usually that's the case. Um, as a youth pastor, I've dealt with, with girls, not in marriage, but in dating situations. Oh, they prayed about it, right? Well, I prayed about this. I know he's the one. Or if I don't date him, then who's going to tell him about Jesus? And you can come up with all kinds of reasons to date a non-believer, whether you're a male or a female. Um, but it's never, ever, and it never will be God's will for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. Bottom line, that's it. I don't care what your feelings say. I don't care what your heart says. I don't care what your dream said the night before. It's irrelevant. God has spoken on this. On the other hand, if you're already married to an unbeliever, you say, oh, good, that means I can get out, right? No, <laughs> No, God doesn't give you an out. He says, no, you remain married and you live a godly life before that unbeliever and hopefully God will use that to draw them to Christ, 1 Corinthians 7. So you have to stop and you have to think about that. So marriage relationships are one area where people compromise and get themselves in situations. Secondly, wrong social relationships. This area you have to be very careful in, okay, because sometimes... This is where Jehoshaphat messed up. He was trying to make an alliance with a northern king who was, well, he's wicked. Yeah, but if we bring the kingdoms together, isn't that the greater good? Um, if Jehoshaphat had not been there enjoying Ahab's hospitality, okay, he wouldn't have been ready to join Ahab on his military expedition, which was clearly against what God wanted. Um, now, with that being said, it's not wrong for us to form social relationships with unbelievers. We're encouraged to do that. Uh, Jesus was known as what? A friend of sinners, right? He dined with, with sinners and things like that. Okay? Um, but you have to be clear on your purpose. Why are you doing this? You know, um, you, you, you can't compromise your standards as a follower of Christ and entertain someone who is outside of Christ. That does no good for anybody. Um, if they're willing to meet with you socially and you're living for Christ and you're not compromising, and they're, maybe God's doing a work in their heart then. Okay? Uh, but you have to be careful of that because uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Paul says, don't be deceived. In other words, you can be deceived. He wouldn't say don't be deceived if you couldn't be deceived. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company, what? Corrupts good morals. We've heard it time and time again. And the moment we think, oh no, we're, we're stronger than that. You know, I've been a Christian for so many years, that wouldn't even bother me. You know, I can, I can go into a bar and sit at the bar and drink ginger ale and hang out with those guys, and that's fine. It doesn't bother. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be very, very, very careful. Um, and so Second Chronicles 19 Two, we see the Lord's admonition here. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? That's a strong statement. That's a strong statement. And if you asked Christians today in many churches, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? 
guess what their answer would be? Well, of course we should. Of course we should help the wicked. Of course we should love those who hate the Lord. Isn't God love, after all? See, there's a faulty message there. Um, it says that God hates the wicked, Psalm 5, 5, uh, Psalm 139, 20, you, you stop and say, well, I thought God loved everybody. Aren't we supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin? You know, we hear all these little catchphrases. <clears throat> and I know that there's a fine line here, but we have to suffice it to say that the Bible is a bit more cautious and discerning than most Christians are. Jude 23 says that on some we are to have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So you should not form, I would say this, <clears throat> you should not form your primary friendships with unbelievers. I think if you do that, you're, you're living on the edge. You're living in danger of maybe even unbeknownst to you having to compromise. Okay, uh, your, your closest friends should be those who share your values and share your relationship with the Lord. And share your goals in Christ. Um, there's a lot of times that people come to me and, and they're from two different theological perspectives. Completely different. And they're asking about marriage. And I have to say, you know what? You, you better rethink this because, you know, where are your kids going to go to church? And almost simultaneously, well, they go to my church. They both say it, right? And, and it's like, well, you see what I'm saying? And they begin to realize, well, yeah, this is different. You know, it's not that even one's an unbeliever at that point, right? But do you have a proper understanding of theology and do you have a proper understanding? Do you agree with the person um, that you're going to marry? That's, that's so important and yet we kind of shove it on the back burner because we just want them to check the box. Yeah, they say they're a believer. Great, you know, check. Because today that's, that's a hard box to check, frankly. And so when you find somebody who is a believer, um, you know, we don't want to look at anything else because we don't have to want to uncheck the box. Um, so we have to think about these things uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says what fellowship has light with darkness what's the answer none zero absolutely none doesn't mean we shouldn't have unbelieving friends right because we have to share the gospel but you have to monitor that you know you always have to monitor that because inevitably you know when people enter into a relationship especially a dating relationship or something like that and they think somehow in their mind they're gonna they're gonna change this person they're gonna draw them to christ and you know it it, it usually goes the other way it's it just does so we have to think about that um wrong social relationships Wrong marriage relationships. Thirdly, wrong spiritual relationships. Jehoshaphat finds himself lined up with 400 false prophets against the lone prophet of God. I mean, think about that. Anybody in their right mind would say, what is he thinking, right? I mean, why would you, you know, hear from these prophets, these false prophets who are speaking lies against the true prophet of God? And you're, you're a man who loves the Lord. You're a man who wants to do the right thing. 
I mean, how do you think Jehoshaphat felt when this poor guy was hauled off? You know, beat him up and hauled him off. Thrown into prison. Um, I often hear Christians say that Jesus said the world would know we are his disciples by our love and unity. So what do we do? We need to bury our doctrinal differences and we need to proclaim unity and common ground. You see it all over the place. Little what? Coexist, right? Um, you, you see it constantly. There's a constant push even to break down barriers between Catholicism and Protestantism. Constantly. Well, we're all one in the Lord. As if there was no significant differences in their theological beliefs or their practices. But core theological issues, beloved, mean the difference between heaven and hell. They really do. It's that big of a difference. I'm not saying that a Catholic can't be a believer. I'm not saying that. And I'm also saying just because you're a Protestant, it doesn't mean you're a believer, right? I mean, that, that's, that's all man-made stuff. Where is your heart? But I do believe that if you are from the Catholic faith and you do sincerely come to Christ, you're going to recognize really quick if you have any kind of education theologically in, in the Bible and you begin to read your Bible, you're going to begin to understand really quickly that what they're doing does not line up with what the Bible says that we should be doing as believers. And at that point, you're going to have to make a decision. Do I stay here and continue to practice these pagan practices amongst all these people that think they're doing the right thing who are most likely not believers? Or do I have to leave? I mean, that was the whole Reformation issue, right? I mean, that was, and, and nowadays it's all washed away. It's like, well, no, we want to bring everybody together. Um, you know, some denominations are so spiritually corrupt that we can't join them because, and even cooperate with them. Because it's going to tarnish the name of not only our Lord and Savior, but of, of, of our church, of our own testimony. You have to be aware of that. I remember years ago, I used to go to a prayer meeting here in Redwood City with a bunch of pastors. It started off great. It was kind of interdenominational. It was fine. And as the prayer meeting grew, you know, we'd pray for about an hour and a half on Tuesday mornings. And as the prayer meeting grew... It seemed mostly charismatics were entering into this prayer circle. And so the prayer meeting turned into a big commercial for your church. So pastor would welcome us and, uh, you know, well, Steve, how's it, what's going on at your church? this week? Well, okay, we're, we're having a conference or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, well, pastor, and he'd go around the whole circle. You know, by the time you get around, he'd look at his watch. He'd go, well, we've got five minutes. Well, brother, why don't you just close this in prayer? <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world happened to this thing, right? And, you know, that wasn't even the straw that broke the camel's back for me, but one of the pastors and their pastor wife of a church was having a speaker that was of the likes of Benny Hinn. It wasn't Benny Hinn, but it was of the likes of Benny Hinn, which we would not even have anything good to say about that, right? Well, on the little flyer they gave out on the bottom of the, the flyer, it, it had the names of all the churches in this prayer circle, which our church was one. And I think it was John Worthington that kind of brought it to my attention and said, do you know anything about this, Pastor? 
Uh, so, you know, I thought, okay, what's going on here, right? And, and these uh, people were just willing to compromise whatever, even their own beliefs, um, for the sake of, of unity. And that's not good. That's not good. So sometimes you've got to kind of stand your ground and let people say what they, they may, but, you know, what, it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, it probably would have been easy for Micaiah to say, well, you know, yeah, okay, I'm not going to go into this with this guy because I know what's going to happen to me. I mean, he's telling his own death, basically, by prophesying this to Ahab because he says, you know what, um, you're not coming back, so that means I'm going to be eating <laughs> meager portions and be in prison for a long time because physically you're going to die in battle. So he knew what this meant, but he stuck, stuck to his guns. Um, love that compromises cardinal truth is not, is not biblical love. Okay, We don't want to compromise our core beliefs. Fourthly, wrong political relationships. Wrong political relationships. And there's a warning for us here um, as, as Christian citizens, but in the context here, as soon as Jehoshaphat entered into this military pack with King Ahab, he lost his position of strength. Right off the bat, he lost it. Now he was committed to going into battle, think about it, with a godless man, who operated on different principles than he did. Um, he had to work under this, this scheme that he came up with, Ahab's scheme in battle, and it almost cost him his life. It almost cost Jehoshaphat his life. And as believers, we may find it helpful at times to you know, link up sometimes politically with unbelievers to achieve some common goals, All right, pro-life, things like that. But you have to think through it carefully. And I think that, you know, frankly, you know, recent history has, has painted a very clear picture for all of us of what happens um, when you think that politics is the answer. All right. Because unfortunately, it's not. Uh, we do need to be, I believe, involved. We need to vote. We need to do what we should do as the Lord leads. But we also have to be careful that we're not compromising um, and being involved in things thinking that somehow politics is the answer and not the Lord. Um, fifthly, wrong business relationships. And here, Jehoshaphat didn't learn his lesson with Ahab. And this is what happens. You know, you suddenly begin to compromise and you're willing to compromise again. And we read there at the end, that's why I wanted to read that part, that he entered into this shipbuilding venture, which is a business adventure, with Ahab's son, Ahaziah. And... Um, Basically, uh, this was a, a wicked deed on Jehoshaphat's part. He didn't get drawn into this. It was something he did. And the Lord judged him as a result and basically wiped out all his, <laughs> all his little fleet he made. So, um, you know, when we look at 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, uh, it doesn't merely talk about marriage. I think it also talks about uh, business relationships. You know, if you're, if you're going into business with someone who doesn't have the same principles that you do, okay, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening one day when they make a decision and you go, well, wait a minute. I, I can't go along with that. That's cheating people or this is wrong or, or that's lying to whatever. Uh, and when you do that, guess what? They're not going to just go, oh, okay, sorry, <laughs> I, you know, we'll go with your decision. No, they're going to stick to their guns, and you're going to be the odd man or woman out. 
And so uh, our goal is to always honor Christ, or it should be. And you have to be willing to be upright. You have to be willing to be honest. And if you um, partner who's not a Christian wants to cut corners, um, then it's not going to work. And I'm sure you all have stories that you can tell we all do uh, where we've made that mistake, uh, maybe in a, a big way or a small way, but we probably learned. And so because you end up compromising with the world. Um, and I think if you're already in a business relationship with someone who's not uh, a Christian, then you need to cl- give a very clear testimony on your part that, you know what, you're going to live for Christ and you're not going to compromise on these principles and you let the, the chips fall where they may. Um, fourthly, the fourth point here, um, we've seen that it, it, it compromised with the world's a great danger for most godly uh, believers it's subtle and it snares us through wrong relationships, but it also compromise with the world brings disastrous results. This shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, it may take time. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight, but sin always has what? Consequences, right? It always has consequences. Uh, sometimes the consequences affect the future generations more than our very own. But if you so compromise with the world, you won't reap God's blessings. Um, And Jehoshaphat himself, apart from God's grace, would have lost his life in battle if God would not have spared it. It took God to intervene. Um, He later did lose (laughs) financially in his ungodly business alliance with Ahab's son. So the first time, God probably thought, okay, I'm going to give you a pass on this. Second time, you know what? You're going you're gonna to reap what you sow, uh, Jehoshaphat, and I'm not going to protect you, and you're going to lose a bundle on your little uh, fleet. And also, Jehoshaphat's sin affected God's people. Uh, he did not say merely in, in verse 3 of chapter 18, I am as you are, but also, he says, in my people, what? As your people. So as a leader, King Jehoshaphat should have understood that, you know what, the way I'm going is the way my people are going to have to follow. They're going to have to go. And so he he saw no responsibility there whatsoever. And so Jehoshaphat went into war alongside Ahab, and the army of Judah went with him. And no doubt some of these people lost their lives. Um, Probably others in Judah would have looked at at godly Jehoshaphat's friendship with this evil king and said, you know what, Um, there must not be much difference (laughs) between Ahab's religion and ours, right? Um, Surely, if if there was any big difference, any such, if if he was such a good man, Jehoshaphat wouldn't be so friendly with this evil king. And the principle is what? We never sin alone, do we? We never sin alone. Our sin always affects somebody. You may think that you're doing it in secret, you may think that it's not affecting anybody, I guarantee you, eventually it will. Our sin always affects other people in the body of Christ, especially the sins of a leader. So we have to be aware of that. In addition, Jehoshaphat's sin helped the enemies of God in their wickedness. Um, In verse 2 of chapter 19, um, when he says, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? So apparently, what he did helped the wicked. Uh, what if Ahab had won? 
Would he have fallen on his faith, face before God? And, you know, I don't think so. Uh, he would have thanked the godless prophets. And he would have continued in his evil ways, thanks to Jehoshaphat. So we never want to help sinners by compromising our standards to help them accomplish their purposes. And this is, this is hard sometimes, because sometimes the sinners are who? The sinners are our friends. The sinners are our family, right? And we have to kind of be willing to draw that line. You know what? Okay, I, I can't go along with this. And when we make family more important than God's standards or God's principles, and we're willing to compromise in these areas, uh, unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to reap the consequences. Um, the clincher of this whole story is really the devastating effect, effect that Jehoshaphat's compromise with the world had on his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and on virtually the whole southern kingdom, you could say, was affected by this. Uh, and when we get in chapters 21 and 22, uh, after Jehoshaphat's death, his son, Jehoram, married Athaliah. He slaughtered all of his brothers. And then he turned the nation to idolatry, 21.6 says. <clears throat> God ends up struck, striking him with a terrible disease of the bowels, and he died after eight years in office. His son, Ahaziah, became king and lasted one year before he was murdered. Ahaziah's wicked mother, Athaliah, then slew all his sons, that would be his, her own grandsons. I mean, this is how crazy these people were. Except for Joash, a one-year-old, who was rescued and hidden from her. And the Davidic kingly line from which Christ was descended came that close to being <laughs> snuffed out. And then the wicked Athaliah ruled the land for six years. And all this was a result of what? Jehoshaphat's compromise with Ahab. I mean, we don't think that. We don't think years down the road, how is this going to affect other people? But our sin does. And so you have to just be um, reminded that, that this is the fact. And we don't want to begin to compromise in areas of our own walk or our own character. Um, it affects us. It affects our families. It affects our loved ones. It affects the church, um, our community, everything. It, it doesn't, doesn't do that. Um, and I think we just need to be reminded of that. And we see that here in uh, Jehoshaphat's example. Okay. Uh, we're going to take off for two weeks. Um, I'm going to be gone, so two weeks. And then we'll be back on the 8th of uh, May. And if you want to read ahead, or June, I'm sorry. June, June 8th, yeah, June 8th. Um, we're already past May 8th, <laughs> June 8th. I'm going backwards here. Um, so if you want to read ahead, read chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 20, that's where we'll be going. And you have some discussion questions there if you want to go over those. But let's close in a word of prayer. And we'll pray for uh, our brother Pete, who's got COVID. And uh, pray that he does gets over that. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Jehoshaphat. And Lord, we thank you that he was a godly king. He started out with good intentions. He wanted to help people. He wanted to live for you. And yet he was drawn in. He was drawn into compromising in, in what we might even say are small areas, but were significant. And they had devastating effect 
effects in his own life and his family's life for, for generations. And Lord, we pray that we would understand the seriousness of, of our lives and, and how we live for the Lord each, each day. And Lord, help us to always be reminded that um, we're here for the sole purpose of honoring you, living for your glory. And um, Lord, we want to do that with, with all of our might. And Father, we can, we can do that because we do have the Holy Spirit. We do have your word. We do have our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we can speak with one another. We can counsel with one another. We can pray for one another. Lord, uh, help us never to forget the strength that we have in the numbers of who we are. And Father, we uh, pray that you would ultimately, we know that you'll give us victory, but we pray that that victory would be realized each and every moment of every day. And Father, we pray that you'd just uh, take us our own ways and and, um, pray that you would uh, take us safely home and pray that you would just uh, be with our conversations now here around our tables. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.